Hello and welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library. I'm Frank Antloga, one of the Adult Services Librarians. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people and our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're talking about how to achieve success. Our special guest is kidney transplant surgeon and book author, Dr. Charles Modlin. Dr. Modlin is one of only approximately 20 black transplant surgeons in the nation and is the first African-American staff urologist in the history of Cleveland Clinic. He is also the only black kidney transplant surgeon in clinic history. Currently, he works at Metro Health as a urologist and is also an associate professor at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. His book is called, It Isn't Difficult to Do It If You Know How to Do It. Welcome, Dr. Modlin. Thank you for having me. To begin with, uh, would you please uh, give us a little information about your background, uh, how you grew up, and what your education was like? So again, my name is Dr. Charles Modlin. I'm a practicing urologist. Uh, I'm also currently medical director of the Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity at the Metro Health Center. I've been over here since September uh, 2021. Um, As mentioned, I was at Cleveland Clinic uh, before. I spent about 28, 29 years over at at Cleveland Clinic uh, as a uh, kidney transplant surgeon urologist. Um, I innovated quite a number of minority uh, health equity programs. That's one of my specialty areas of interest. Um, but my story it go, goes back, I grew up in a small town in central Indiana, a little town called Newcastle, Indiana. Not many people have actually heard of it. It's about maybe 38, 40 miles east of Indianapolis. We had about 18,000 people growing up. Very small um, uh, percentage of the population was African-American uh, uh, population. We were very close-knit. We were pretty much all raised uh, in the church. I grew up um, in the church. It was called the Wiley United Methodist Church. And then it was really, that's where I got my roots in terms of understanding that it's my uh, responsibility uh, to give back to the community. I remember uh, growing up when I was young, my father was a deacon in the church and I would always see him uh, driving the the senior pastor around, um, um, you know, help helping him, you know, to do odd jobs. Uh, he, he, was blind, by the way, um, so he needed a lot of help. But it was really primarily my dad, um, who was his, um, you know, senior deacon, uh, who took that role and responsibility. So I learned a lot about servant leadership. And my father always told me, you know, that it's my responsibility to give back to the community. And, and you know, when I was young, I didn't understand. But I, as I had different lived experiences, you know, I, I understood that we in the black community had to look out for one another. You know, my my father never had a chance to uh, graduate from high school. Um, in good standing, he had to drop out of high school in 11th grade to enter World War II to serve his nation. So he also was was always a little self-conscious about the fact that he never really acquired, you know, his education. And and so he stressed upon, you know, me and, and my siblings, the best way to a better life was to uh, achieve a uh, quality education. My, my mother at the age of 40, uh, made the decision to go back to college. After she graduated high school, she had a, a college scholarship for one year. And both my parents were born back in 1924. So we're talking like the late 1930s, 40s. She had a, an opportunity to go to college. She, she went to Butler University for one year. Uh, after that, the, the scholarship, um, you know, it, it ran out. So she, would, she had to go to work uh, to help support her family and, you know, support the war effort. 
But at the age of 40, with four small kids at home, she made the decision that she wanted to pr- pursue uh, becoming a, uh, a classroom school teacher. And so um, she actually became a, a school teacher. Um, it was the first black school teacher in the history of Henry County, Indiana, the first. And you can imagine the challenges that, that came along with that. But I, I mentioned this because when I was six years old, she took me up to, to one of her night school classes at Ball State University Teachers College. I was six years old. I was being rowdy. I was running up and down the, the, the aisles of the, the classroom, the auditorium. So she reached out and she grabbed me right when the, the, when the professor walked in. Professor said, okay, uh, well, who, who do you have? I, I see you have a, a visitor. So my mother introduced me. I was like really shy and, and intimidated all the, especially all those women in the room, you know, you know, everybody's staring at me. And she goes, this is my son. And one day he's going to be going to college also. And the reason I mention all this, because at the age of six, that was when I realized that my parents had placed expectations. That's a word we don't really hear a lot about now when we're talking about young kids. They placed an expectation upon me that I was going to pursue my education to do uh, perform in school to the best of my abilities and to respect my teachers, elders, and fellow classmates. So all of these you know, life experiences that I, and I, I, I was lucky because I had uh, great parents who were role models. All of this together, um, you know, when I was also in high school, I had several jobs. Um, but one job I, I did have uh, was a hospital orderly. And that gave me an opportunity to work with the nursing staff and, and actually um, get, I, I got firsthand experience taking care of patients. Uh, many of these patients were patients from our church congregation. I always loved studying science, um, chemistry, biology in school. I was, I was a, a great student. Um, but I knew I had to be because that was the expectation. So collectively, my, my father also, as I grew up, as I was, you know, became a teenager, he, he always would tell, no, nobody cares about black men. Again, I, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't quite understand it. Then I saw a number of trials and tribulations that he was going through. Um, I, I, as I matured, I, see, I saw what was going on in the, in the world, the, the the status of, of black people in the country, especially black men, you know, men of color. He said, it's your responsibility when I graduated from college and medical school, it's your responsibility to give back to the community, to use your education um, to give back to the community because you've been fortunate enough to have received uh, a college and not only college, but also a medical school education. So I assimilated all of this and I, I, I'll be, I'm, this is a long-winded answer. I'll be finished here real quick. Back in the late 90s, uh, maybe I think it was about 2003, actually, my family and I, we, we, we took a trip down to the uh, a museum in Cincinnati. It's called the National Underground Freedom Railroad. I highly recommend that to your listening audience. That was an epiphany for me because I got so emotional seeing those displays of the slaves, the shackles, the huts, the, the pictures, the graphic representation, and, and it made me so angry. And my father always told me, he goes, and you're not supposed to use the word hate, but he says, sometimes in order to overcome a challenge, you actually have to hate whatever it is you're trying to overcome. He didn't say hate people, you know, hate the situation, you know, hate the challenge. So that made me so emotional. So I, I remember driving back to Cleveland. I, I was sitting at the, in the Oregon Preservation Lab at Cleveland Clinic, and that's when it hit me 
use your education, medical education, get back to the community. No, nobody cares about black people. Um, there's something that, that I can do to help make a difference. And that's when I actually came up with the idea of creating the Cleveland Clinic Minority Men's Health Fair. 2003, 2004, I started the Minority Men's Health Center. Uh, all of these initiatives grew exponentially once I understood also that I needed to become part of the community. I, I didn't understand that the art of networking, when you're in a particular specialty, you just focus in on that specialty. You know, I'm, not, I'm not from Cleveland, so I didn't really know the community. Um, the other thing is I, I wasn't even aware of this, this healthcare disparity crisis until after I finished my kidney transplant training. That's when I was able to step back and, and, and realize that minority populations, communities of color are, are disadvantaged in terms of the incidence and access to healthcare. So I, I assimilated all this knowledge and, and the lessons that had been given to me growing up. And that's how I, and, and also, I, and I, I read two books by local author, George Frazier, who really distilled within me the importance of networking in the black community. Success runs in our race and race for success. Uh, I recommend those books to your listening audience. Um, so that, that's kind of who I am. It kind of distills down in terms of how I got to to do you know what I'm doing now in terms of you know being an advocate for improving the black health minority health uh, addressing health inequities health care disparities um, I, I have a responsibility it, it's kind of uh, built into my fabric at this point and uh, I, I I had great role models and, and they're still driving me to do today what I'm doing and that actually includes the you know encompasses the reason why I wrote the book as well. Sorry for that long-winded answer. No, thank you, Doctor. Yeah, thanks for uh, letting us know about your background. Um, now, again, your uh, the title of your book is called "It Isn't Difficult to Do It If You Know How to Do It." Is there a uh, story behind coming up with that title? Yeah. So I, I think actually that is one of the most brilliant statements, profound, philosophical. It's on par, I would say, with Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And again, I can say that because I didn't come up with a title. I, I wouldn't compliment myself, you know, like that. So the, the, there is a story behind the title. So it isn't difficult to do it if you know how to do it. It, it sounds kind of nonsensical. It sounds, I mean, the, the, I mean, it, it's it's obvious though, you know, if you know how to do something, it's going to be easier to do it, right? So my daughter Hannah, she's tomorrow. She's going to be twenty, to be twenty-four years old tomorrow. Um, she was about three and a half years old. We had a nanny at the time. And the nanny was watching my daughter play a, a fast-paced uh, video game with the joysticks. I think it was called Crash Team Racing. Um, and the, the nanny, you know, she speaks to my daughter. She goes, Hannah, that looks very difficult to do. Is it difficult to do it? And Hannah, she kept on playing without turning around with a baby's voice. It isn't difficult to do it if you know how to do it. I mean, that, that is so profound, I mean, that it, sa it says everything. You know, if we can, the older generation, if we can part our, our lived experiences, our wisdom, our knowledge, advice, guidance upon the younger generation, whatever it is they're trying to achieve, accomplish, whatever success, you know, path, they, they career they, they, they want to pursue, if they have certain elements, components, tenets, uh, basic knowledge of how to go after that that career trajectory, that pursuit, um, it's going to be a little bit easier. My father always says, always told me that the, the best um, 
teacher is at the foot of an old person. I don't like to consider myself an old person. I guess I am now at this point. Um, but but what we need to do, we need to impart upon the younger generation that they need to consult with the older generation, somebody who's already achieved certain successes. It doesn't have to be somebody who's already um, achieved uh, or you know is in a particular um, area of expertise or career that they are, want to pursue. Uh, there, there's a... a incredible amount of knowledge out there that the, young, the older generation has acquired. And, and so my book, it's um, it's based on, I wanted to get, this is my way of giving back to the, the, the community. I do a lot of mentorship and, and for the younger generation, take students into the operating room on rounds. Um, so over the years, I've done a lot of that, but the, the book is replete with uh, information, knowledge, wisdom that I learned from my family, my parents, my my grandparents, my, my church community uh, growing up, lessons I learned um, on my 17-year um, educational journey after graduating high school to become a kidney transplant surgeon. Um, these are lived experiences that we can impart upon the younger generation that that is going to basically accelerate their lived experiences decades before they would have normally acquired some of this information. Um, I know now it, it's a lot easier to acquire information than it was when I was growing up because of the internet. Um, but but still, um, a lot of the lessons in the book are, are some, some lessons are basic, but there's a lot of advanced um, um, information in there that a student would not normally um, necessarily even think about or, or have an ability to acquire during their, their short lifetimes. So, Dr. Modlin, um, you have just shared so much great information. I mean, it's so impressive. I mean, from your parents, your mom going to college for one year to your daughter, that's the helping you to develop the title for this book. But you didn't write the book until 2021. <laughs> so I'm interested to learn what actually inspired you to finally sit down and write the book? Like, was there one particular moment or something that just said, it's time to sit down. I have to settle down and just sit down and write this book. So, so actually I started writing the book in 2014, actually. And so I was invited to give a commencement address over at uh, John Hay high school, uh, which was a great honor. Um, and, and so I delivered, I, I took probably, three or four months or longer putting those remarks together because I know there's a great expectation anytime you're a commencement speaker, people want to hear something profound, interesting, entertaining. And actually in about three weeks or so, I'm, I'm delivering a commencement address at Case Western Reserve University for the physician assistance uh, um, graduation ceremony. So I put a lot of time into um, deciding um, a lot of introspection in terms of what I wanted to say to the, those graduating students at John Hay High School. And then after the, um, and again, my message was basically uh, to give them advice and, and guidance based on lessons that I that I had learned that might help them navigate their success journey. And after that, I, I thought that, you know, this messaging should not end just with these this one class of students. And so I started writing the book. I, I would write for a while. And so I, I love writing. But I would write for a while, then a month later, write some more, not write any, take a month, six months off, write some more, take a year off, write some more. Um, and, and, and 
I kept on writing because I and I kept on writing, rewriting, I putting other stuff in there. Then COVID came around. I had to include a little bit about COVID in the book. Um, then it took me about a year or two years or to find a publisher. So I actually started in 2014. So this this is um, kind of a long journey. I'm glad uh, I was able to finally get the book published. Uh, my goal is to get the book in front of as many uh, as large an audience as possible. You know, nationwide. Uh, teachers, students, uh, grandparents, caregivers, libraries, um, you know, you name it, uh, coaches. Um, because I, I think, I, I feel the book has very, very, a lot of valuable content. But uh, yeah, no, this just, this didn't just happen overnight at all. Let's talk about some of the advice in the book. You urge people to face their fears. Uh, could you please tell us more about that and about learning from the mistakes of others? So... You know, that's one of the most important lessons that I've learned during my lifetime is that we can learn from the mistakes of others, but we we can also learn from our own mistakes and we should learn from our own mistakes. Anytime we, we take a misstep, we should actually sit down and, and try to be introspective and, and and figure out, you know, why that happened. Um, you know, life, our, our success is really about uh, making the right choices. I remember in my college application, and I've used this, I think probably even in my medical school application, there's a poem that I encourage all students to read, all people to read. It's by Robert Frost. I forget the exact, I think it was in the, the 20s. Uh, it's called The Road Not Taken. Um, and that just basically talks about a traveler, the individual in the poem, he's trying to decide down which path he wants to traverse. And he, he, sits there for a while, stands there for a while, you know, being uncertain in terms of which way to go. And he looks as far down the path as he can until they both bend. He can't see beyond a certain point. Um, but then he decides to go down one path versus the other. And in, in the poem, he is um, basically wondering whether or not he made the right decision, you know, and, and it just talks about how he. And once you make a certain decision, he talks about how you can't necessarily go back and then take another path. Um, in, in life, actually, in, in many situations, you can, you can correct. But, you know, making the right decisions are, are very important. So I, I did a, a recent national um, TV interview uh, with uh, uh, TV anchor Sharon Reed on, on the Black News Channel. And I, I wrote this book from cover to cover. But I had actually never sat down to read it cover to cover until and, and in preparation for that national interview, I, I actually decided to sit down and read the book. And, and I, I actually I, I hate to say it this way, but I actually was impressed. I impressed myself with, with the content of the book. And I, I, I made some uh, I, I had some sticky notes that I wanted to highlight that I, you know, in, in terms of what was most important. You, you can say the whole book is filled with sticky notes. So. You know, people ask me, what is the most important um, lesson in the book? Um, and, and that's very difficult to say. But but again, making the right decisions, um, being willing to learn from the mistakes of not only your own mistakes, but the mistakes of others, uh, getting out of your comfort zone. I, I talk about that a lot. A lot of people are afraid to try new things. You know, that, that's very important to, to take risks to try new things to ask questions. Uh, a lot of times I remember, you know, looking back when I was a student, I was, you know, shy and I was afraid to, I mean, I would, in high school, I would raise my hand and stuff, but but a lot of times I would still be afraid to ask questions. In, in college and in high school, you have to realize in, you know, any school, 
the, the teachers and professors are actually working for the students. Uh, and students should understand that they are there as a resource for you. There's no such thing as a, a silly or a stupid question, uh, except they say, except for the one that you don't ask. Um, <laughs> you know, so one of the most important points in the book also is to acknowledge that there are people who have helped you achieve the successes that you've already achieved um, to to whatever point you are in, in your life. Acknowledge those individuals, um, recognize them, thank them. You know, that, that's all, that's very important. Uh, recognize also that the people actually have placed expectations on you to perform to the best of your abilities. Another important point is to, a lot of times we're, we're taught, you know, we, you, you, the question, you know, you mentioned about successes and, and failures. We're taught to just focus on improving whatever weaknesses that we have. And, and that's very important. In the book, I also stress the fact that you should also work to improve upon your strong areas, the, the areas which have contributed to, to your present day successes. Very, very important not to ignore, you know, you, you may be strong in, in a particular area or areas, but you want to actually build upon that. Try to improve your, your weaknesses, but, but, but focus also on, on your, your strengths um, so that you'll even be stronger. You know, associate with like-minded individuals who also have high uh, aspirations to achieve success. Diversify your, your network. You know, there, there's a lot you can learn from uh, having a diverse group of friends from different cultures, different backgrounds than your own. Um, so, yeah, there, I mean, these are just some of the lessons uh, in the book that I think stand out. But again, there, there are just so many. Being a physician, you know, obviously I wanted to include a, a chapter about uh, staying healthy, you know, in, in school and in college. It's um, quite easy just to devote all of your time to sitting down and, and studying and, and reading. And obviously that, that's very important, but you also have to be mindful of, of your physical and, and mental state of health as well. And that, you know, mental health wasn't something that was uh, widely discussed, you know, when I was growing up, and actually, even until recently. And now it seems to be more out in the news and, and people seem to understand the importance of recognizing uh, the importance of your mental health, seeking care if you have uh, any, any needs. But also in the book, I talk about how fellow students should actually, if you see that some of your classmates are struggling uh, you can take action to help them receive the help that they need as well. But I talk about the importance of physical activity, you know, uh, having a daily exercise uh, regimen. You know, these things are very important. Staying hydrated. I talk about, you know, before you go off to college, you should know what your your own personal medical history is, what your, what your family medical history is. I talk about the a lot of the screenings that you need to be aware of, the immunizations that you need to have. Um, I mean, there, there's so much, you know, information in, in this book. I, the, the COVID situation is, is changing. So um, that, that's something I talk about in terms of finding a reputable sources of, of online information, the CDC, you know, the Ohio Department of Health, other, there's other very important reputable uh, resources because uh, some of these health conditions are, are, are rapidly changing and, and um, you have to be aware and on top of, of what's going on. I talk about pursue opportunities to study abroad. I remember after I graduated uh, high school, I had several opportunities. I was all an all-state trumpet player uh, in high school. I played a little bit in college, but I had opportunities to go travel in Europe um, on several tours. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to pursue those. Uh, but, you know, some examples, uh, two weeks in Europe 
of $750. Um, you know, my family, we couldn't afford that. I had to stay and, and, and work, you know. But, but these students now, there's a lot of scholarship opportunities, other opportunities that they need to pursue. I talk about how to go about um, seeking references, recommendations for college applications, work applications, graduate school, you know, professional school, uh, things like that. There's a certain way of going about it. I talk about uh, the importance of getting you know, involved in, in research uh, in high school, college, and, and beyond. I, I talk about the importance of getting involved in your college alumni association. You can develop a vast, uh, important network by, by doing that. So, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, I highly recommend the book, you know, and again, I'm, I need to sit down and read it again, cover to cover to remember everything that's in here. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're <laughs> very proud of your book. You should be very proud of your book. And even when I look at Amazon, I'm like, oh, I'm seeing five stars. I'm seeing, I'm seeing people say very positive things about you and the book. So can you tell us what was the response from your family, from your friends? Like what did your children, what did they say? So I have four kids, um, Trey, he's 29. I have Sarah, she's 26. She just graduated from the College of, uh, or Thomas Jefferson University with her master's in public health. She received a um, undergraduate degree from William & Mary. My son received an undergraduate from Texas Tech. I have Hannah, she's actually a junior, uh, Cleveland State Chemical Engineering and Meredith. She went to my alma mater, Northwestern. She said she didn't like it. She transferred to Haverford. I'm, I'm angry with her, but so Haverford is a great school. She's a computer computer science uh, major. I don't know that my, my son, I think, has read the book. The other ones, see, when you're their father, they don't care anything that you say, you know, which is unfortunate because I, I don't see. I Actually, I, I, I hung on to pretty much every word that my parents said, at least what I remember. Probably not everything. So, no, they, they were proud. Um They've told their friends about it. Actually, I, I don't know if you saw. If you saw, I have a workbook that just came out also a couple of months ago. It's a companion workbook uh, journal that uh, hopefully the, the students will uh, read alongside with the main book. Take note. There's some certain exercises that they can do. Um, but no, the, I, I've had a, a great reception from the community. I've done some book signings, uh, public appearances, that kind of thing. But but see again, this book um, is. I, I really see this as a, a resource, a reference, a manual. Uh, it, it's a navigation tool, it's a guide. Uh, see, the other point I, I'd like to make is, you know, this book is gonna help individuals better navigate their success pathways, avoid certain roadblocks, obstructions, pitfalls. With, with that being said, it's still important. And again, I, I recognize that everyone needs to be able to learn how to overcome challenges. The older generation, we're not going to be able to protect, you know, these young people from every challenge, every uh, obstacle, every opposition that, that they're going to encounter, nor, nor should we try to, because, again, they that's a learning process. But, again, there, there are some obstacles that can derail uh, younger people, and, and needlessly so. If we can give our, our, our children, our young people, an opportunity to focus on on high higher level activities, they're going to be able to soar and, and get even further um, than if they had to figure out how to bypass a lot of these uh, obstructions on their own. And again, you know, some of these uh, obstructions, roadblocks. Um, and again, I found this. This is a school on hard knocks that everybody has to go through. 
some some of this is is intentionally created. And again, I'm not trying to be negative or drag anybody down, but there are people out there. This is a highly competitive world, and, and the higher that they go in, in their college careers, the further they go, uh, they're going to see a lot of this. That that uh, even in the, the the work environment beyond college and education, uh, there are people out there who intentionally will try to de derail you. And we've seen a lot of situations, especially with students of color, where a lot of them give up because they don't know how to get past these roadblocks. They 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 give up. Uh, they don't know who to turn to. Um, they they think that their you know their success is not meant to be. Which brings me up to a great book that I just recently read. I would say it's on par as being as great as my book, but probably even better. But called uh, it's called Permission to Dream by Chris Gardner. I highly recommend that you and your listening audience read this, Permission to Dream. And I, I just read this, um, his book from cover to cover. I need to read it again. It, it really can transform a person's life reading that book. Actually, everything he says in the book is that, you know, not everything, but I say it in a different way. My, mine is more of a, an instructional, you know, guideline. His is more, you know, inspirational. So, but the, but the point is a, a lot of, young people out there grow up in certain environments where they don't even believe from the outset that they have permission to aspire to achieve successes or, or dream big. And so we, the older generation, have to let them know that, yes, you are important. You are somebody. You actually have permission to aspire to be a surgeon, lawyer, whatever it is. Um, you, you can achieve your dreams. But see, here's one of the biggest important messages in my book. So we've all heard the phrase, um, you can be anything that you want to be or, or you, you can achieve any goals that you want. to. That, that's actually only half correct. You actually have to put in the work to be able to achieve those goals. You can't just achieve something because you wish it, you want to. You, you have to prepare yourself. And, and in the book, I say you have to bring it. The one one story I tell in the book is when I was uh, again I was at the top of my class you know in the top ten of my class I, I met with my high school guidance counselor back then they would call you in to their office one on one and ask you okay what what do you want to do after you graduate I was a junior and I told my counselor and I was like always number one in my chemistry classes all that kind of stuff physics I said well I want to be a doctor and first of all I never actually met a black doctor before there were none in, in the city. And she kind of chuckled. She goes, you're, you're not doctor material. She had no basis for saying that. But, but again, my, my, I had two older sisters that had her as a guidance counselor also. And they warned me of what she was going to do. And she didn't derail me. She could have easily, if I didn't have the mindset, if I, my parents had not placed uh, expectations on me and, and, and the self-esteem, we have to build up the self-esteem of, of our young people. It didn't sway me at all from pursuing my goals. I could have easily been derailed and, and put my head down and um, been disillusioned and not even tried to, to achieve or become a, a physician. Fast forward probably 30 years later, I was actually asked to come back to my high school. Uh, they, they gave me um, a Distinguished Alumni Award and I, I presented at the certificate ceremony, um, you know, gave a, gave a speech to the, the, the graduating uh, academic achievers. And she was in the audience. The, the, for my former counselor, and I, I was a keynote speaker at the uh, luncheon for retiring um, school teachers. Uh, my mother was there. The, my high school guidance counselor was there. I'm, I'm up on the podium. I'm looking down. She's in the front row. Imagine I could have 
said something to her where you, you, you told me, I, you know, I could have her on stage, but I knew not to dis. I was never going to disrespect her because I wasn't taught to disrespect people like that. I actually thanked her for, for helping motivate me. And, and, you know, so I could go on to become, you know, so I, I took the high road and, and she smiled. She probably didn't even remember. That is uh, truly the high road. That <laughs> I, I'm, t- I, I'm not sure if I would have had that response. But thank you for sharing, teaching oh, us that life lesson today on how oh, to take the high road. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You've also uh, were able to provide a TED talk. What was that experience like? So that was for Solon High School, and the thing is, I only had about two weeks to prepare for that. I had never actually given a TED talk before. Um, and it was, I think, the Solon High School pre-med club, uh, one of the students that I had actually mentored and she had chatted with me, invited me to give that. So I would like to revisit that. Um, I think I could do a better job than, than what I did. It was a stressful situation in the sense that um, you have to deliver a certain amount of information and specified a certain amount of time. And again, I, I, I hadn't had a lot of time to prepare my, my talk was pretty much on about healthcare disparities, health inequities, but yeah, no, it, it was a it was a great experience. I really appreciated it. That, that's that's something on my bucket list that I want to do more of, uh, more more TED talks. But it was it was an honor to have been asked uh, to do that. I actually have on my phone. I have the TED uh, app application on my my iPhone. Periodically, I'll, I'll check to see what kind of TED talks are out there. I, I learn a lot. They're very educational. You know, one, one of the most popular TED Talks out there is the TED Talk by Amy Cuddy, I think her C-U-D-D-Y. And it's, it's been out there maybe five, six, seven, eight years. And she's a psychologist, I think, out of Harvard, or, or I believe she's out of Harvard. But her talk is fake it until you make it. And I've heard various opinions about that, whether or not a person should, should truly fake it until they make it. But her point was to... A lot of the same points I made in the book, you know, get out of your comfort zone. You don't have to be an eloquent um, speech giver to, to get up and, and give a talk. I mean, everybody has the expertise and wisdom that we can impart, you know, on, on others. So even though you may not be a Rhodes Scholar or, or everybody can contribute to society and disseminate information to others. And she talks a lot about projecting the, the and strength through uh, body language. I actually highly recommend that. That's actually one of the highest ranked uh, TED Talks and in the history of the TED Talks. Uh, Amy Cuddy, fake it until you make it. I recommend all my kids, they download the, the app and, and, and access those TED Talks on a routine basis. As far as the fake it till you make it, I don't recommend that your surgeon do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, yes, thank yeah. you. There are some people, some professions that might be able to fake it, but others that we don't want you to fake it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is your book available? Um, is it available through Kindle? Oh, yeah. So the thing is, yeah, the book is actually, it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes & Noble, it's on Kindle. I, I never got around to um, developing an audio you know, version. I, I, I probably need to somehow do that at some point. I probably, when I read it to cover to cover, I should have read it out loud and, and recorded it. That's right. You know, that would have been my audio. Um, so as we conclude the podcast, is there anything else you want our listeners to know? You know, no, I, I think, uh, again, I, I've, um, I was fortunate in, in terms of having, you know, great role model uh, parents uh, growing up, um, growing up um, 
in the community, the, the church community, the Wiley United Methodist Church. Again, we had a close-knit community that we we all took responsibility and been caring for one another. And, uh, you know, I just want to hopefully be able to pass along that information to the younger generation so they'll follow suit. I, I, I think every one of us has a responsibility to give back and, and mentor others. Uh, we, we all have acquired a certain amount of knowledge, of wisdom over, over our lived experiences, and then we, we need to pass that along to others. So we want to, each generation should build up on the knowledge, wisdom that has been acquired by the previous generation. Again, I, my pleasure to have been your, on, on your podcast today as your, as your guest. Uh, again, I, I encourage everybody to, to take a look at the book. It's a great resource to help our younger generation. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mylan. We really appreciate you spending your afternoon with us today. And we look forward to sharing this information with all of our library users. Thank you again. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. And now, the news you cannot use. It's hard to find durian fruit in this area, which might be a good thing. It is known for its large size, thorny rind, and... As the University of Canberra Library in Australia found out, strong odor. According to TheGuardian.com, firefighters and a hazmat crew were called to the library because of a smell which prompted an evacuation. Turns out, someone had left a durian in an air vent in the library. The fruit is popular in China, but also is often banned from hotels and public transportation across Asia because of its smell. And now, maybe from the Euclid Public Library as well. Ever wanted to read a encyclopedia? Now you can. The creator of the YouTube channel Anamorphic on a Budget, Tito Faradans, has created a library of photo lenses for any aspiring photographer. According to nofilmschool.com, Faradans's library database will help creative people find lenses, adapters, focusers, and other tools for their photography needs. The library can be found online at lens Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A.com. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. You can learn more about Euclid Public Library by stopping by or going to our website, euclidlibrary.org. Mm-hmm.